Welcome to The Uncertain Artist, where each week we discuss the highs and lows of forging a life in the arts, specifically the collaborative arts, and mostly here in Seattle. Our starting point each week is an episode of the YouTube show, The Uncertain Detective, which was created by me, Greg Lashow, and I'm joined by our writing and story consultant, Joe Guppy. Today, we're going to discuss episode two from our first season with our guest, Eric Ray Anderson, who has a prominent role as the assistant detective. So, Joe, did you get a chance to watch the episode? I did, Greg, and I thought it was uh, terrific. I think, uh, like all of the episodes, it's one of the best. Well, that's good to hear. I didn't uh, watch it myself. Yeah, I understand you have a problem with watching your work. Yeah, and I was just thinking about why that might be. And what occurred to me was I used to do a lot of theater. um, And one of the things that drove me crazy was that something would go wrong in inevitably right every time you do do a show there's mistakes and and you can't fix them because it's the show's over mm-hmm. and i think that was one of the things that drove me to mm. to make film um and, but then you'd think i'd be able to go and watch it because it's over i can't like I, literally when i watch something i've made i expect something new to go wrong that never went wrong before which <laughs> is kind wow. of crazy right I, I would have thought that there would be that you were when when I I don't really have much of a problem watching my stuff. Maybe I'm an egotist or something, but but I do notice every time I blew a line just by a, like a couple of syllables or something. I, re, I like oh every time I wince, even yeah. though I know it doesn't make any difference. Is that part of what you're? Uh, uh, no, I think to... it's really like this weird feeling of the the movie's gonna skip or okay. you know something's wow yeah that is not very, what i would have expected yeah, that is yeah. Not what so I, it's very hard to watch again anyway what tell me a little bit about episode two well I, I i did totally enjoy it i'm kind of flashing little flash frames in my mind as i as i uh, uh megan's uh, green coat is coming uh to my oh now. hey what's up oh hello how are you where were you just getting a book for charlie i feel like he needs a project oh. Idle hands. Greg, you should get Charlie to work on your show. Oh, no, that would not be good. Where are you going? The Allegro. I found a film idea in one of my books I really need to work on, so. That's good. Oh, you remember that we're filming today, right? No. What? The detectives are following you to make sure you don't kill your husband. I'm sure I told you. No notice. Can't. Did you read the script? Yeah. She wants to kill her husband, so she hires a detective so that she can go back in time to not kill her husband. You think it's too confusing? No, actually, it's the perfect fantasy. I think she's looking for love. Huh? Aren't we all? But since our guest is Eric Ray Anderson, um, the acting chops of Eric Ray Anderson and Megan Murphy, of course, or Megan, oh, geez, I hope I didn't mispronounce her name. Uh, <laughs> she goes by both. Yeah. Um, and, and yourself as well. So very, very great stuff. And and uh, have we played that clip yet? Or are no, we going to play let's it? Let's listen to, okay. so what are, we're going to listen to what? Uh, we're going to listen to the very last clip. It's it's right before the or it's it's the end of episode two, end basically. Episode two. Yeah, and and, I don't know. Do we need to set this up? Well, we um, can just say. I mean, uh, it's the end of episode two, so that would be the detectives are attempting to help their client 
avoid murdering her husband, essentially. Um, and so they've been tailing her. Yeah, so let's listen. She got a text. I had the telephoto on her, so I was able to read it. It's her husband. I have to work late at the office. Love you. She immediately drove to this office building. Let's hope we're not too late. Otherwise, we will need to find a working time portal. That's ridiculous. You're not seeing clearly. I see a woman who needs our help. I see a man who's blinded by love. Love is seeing the other person in the best possible light. No. Love is seeing someone for who they are, not who you want them to be. She's just after his money. Maybe not. Maybe she's after passion. I took on this detecting job to learn a profession, not to spend my days with a love-struck amateur. You're too late, detective. Um, yeah, so that that's fun to listen to. And I think partly now I know another reason why it's hard for me to watch uh, the show. I have a problem in that I tend to mouth Mm, the yes. other actors' lines <laughs> as uh, as they're saying them. So being able to just listen and not have to watch me do that was that was very refreshing. Yeah, I re I remember uh, mentioning that to you at <laughs> one point during the the shooting. Um, stop mouthing the other people's lines. <laughs> we had that on uh, with our live uh, uh, performances with off the wall players, and we did a lot of uh, uh, scripted sketches. And our director. I won't mention her name because you know she's actually wonderful and really talented and, and, and helped bring our group together in in ways that you can't even imagine. But she would mouth our lines. Oh yeah. And I would I would look over sometimes and she'd be mouthing like one another person. <laughs> so it's a thing that people who really care, who are directors and creators, it's 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 something they do. So that reminds me of I was acting in a play. It was directed by Bill Rausch, who's now a he he headed Ashland Shakespeare Festival for a long time. I think he's the director of The Shed down in New York now. Anyway, he would come to rehearsal with a, a, a pad of paper and a very uh, dull pencil. And as you said your line, you would hear, you would hear him <laughs> constant, like it was a note every word. Like it was, it was uh, impossible to get through the, a scene. What did I just do wrong? Um, Anyway, yeah, so it was refreshing hearing that and remembering uh, working with Eric, um, mm. uh, partly because we were so close. Our faces were yeah, so close together could, that I'm, yeah. I'm not sure he could see me mouthing the lines. Mm. So it wouldn't have, been, <laughs> wouldn't have been possible. Well, the, yeah, I mean, that is a wonderful, wonderful scene. I, I love the, the philosophical discussion of what love is uh, mingled in there, which is kind of what The Uncertain Detective is about. It's... Uh, it's whimsical and and yet there's a, a definitely a depth to it at, at the same time parallel nice i like whimsical yeah um yeah when we shot that so we'll we'll, we'll introduce eric now but um i'll just say that that was the last shoot of the first two episodes which was always planned to be we would shoot the first two episodes then i would edit and we'd learn about the show and then come back to shoot mm -hmm. um change the scripts for episodes three four five and six accordingly and come back and shoot but luckily <laughs> it's a completely wrong word COVID hit and uh 
we wouldn't have been able to make any more episodes anyway. That day, as it turns out, our first uh, AC um, had COVID. Mm -hmm. We had no idea. That's right. That and was... uh, everyone at the shoot uh, got it. Um, and that was the, I remember that was the coffee shop shoot, right? Uh, no, the, uh, the coffee shop not, shoot? Not the, not, not, obviously not the scene with Eric, but the scene that I was in, uh, I, I remember the, the, where we were above Allegro. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I remember afterwards it was like, oh, one of the yes, AD exactly, had, right. had COVID. Yeah. Now, I did not get it. But I remember, oh, yeah, good for you. I didn't get it. But uh, but I remember, wow, that bullet just whizzed past me. Yeah. So, yeah, let's bring Eric in. We can talk about COVID. Um, <laughs> uh, so, Eric Ray Anderson. Uh, hey there. How you doing? Hi, you guys. I'm, <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm super excited that you're here um, for a bunch of reasons. I'll say the first one and then hopefully we'll get to some of the others. Um, but this being our first podcast of the Uncertain artist um it's cool to have someone who's like life in the collaborative arts spans as far as i know because i was aware of you from the moment i got to seattle um you kind of have done everything a little bit of you know, you've sort of been involved in i don't know is there a theater in town you haven't worked in uh there <laughs> it, it uh, drove me nuts i never worked at the group theater Oh, really? When, when, uh, when they were rocking and rolling mm -hmm. and uh, um, all my friends did, and I auditioned every once in a while, but that was one. But I think that's, I think in terms of once I, once I joined the union in um, 1986, then from there on, I think I did at least something at every theater that that had union contracts and by union you mean actors equity actors equity and then at some point you must have joined sag yeah mm -hmm. um because you also you know i was aware of you in the sort of what i now think of as sort of the heyday of of sort of film and tv work in seattle mm -hmm. i have no idea if that's true but back in the day i, I think it, i think it probably it is true because things change yeah but we're old we don't know right i mean that's part well, of no, why i started there the was there was a, there out. really was a change in the 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 tax breaks given to film uh, filming that's why everybody went to vancouver i mean that was a that was a thing it did, so it did at, happen at some yeah. time and i guess it's the 90s there was northern exposure and twin peaks both happened Is right that right and you, yeah you got to be a well part of both. no i i got i have uh uh i actually i was i was just uh hanging out in los angeles i spent the last several days in los angeles and um uh i was uh hanging out with one of my besties from the 80s and 90s, which is John Billingsley. My, now... my old roommate. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'd completely forgotten that. And some of you will know John from his fame in Star Trek. I can't name the character he played, but... He played Dr. Phlox there we go. in uh, the Enterprise series. And then he's just and, and, well, he's just in everything. I want to put in a plug for the movie he was in with Denzel Washington. It was oh, yeah. kind, of a, kind of a buddy picture with Denzel Washington. And it is... Yep. A, I, can't, I can't remember the name of that one, but no, it is really it's good. It's very entertaining. I'm a, I'm a big, 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 big podcast guy. This is... Uh, I think it's my second time being on one, but uh, um, but I listen to them constantly, and I was listening to you know one of the really successful movie podcasts, and I have never seen that movie, but um, they were talking about other Denzel Washington movies, and then they got off on a sidebar, 
on that movie and were were just going on and on about the chemistry yeah. yes really between good. john yes and denzel yeah it's perfect because john plays like kind of a nerd like yeah. he does yeah. and and you know denzel is smooth and suave and yeah the the contrast and i think they should, i wish it had become a franchise because it, <laughs> it really yeah that's what these guys kind of said <laughs> anyway they? i was uh, uh uh and i told this story uh, about john just the other day i there was a lot of movies that were made in Seattle in the the 80s and 90s and until the big Vancouver takeover all the things that yep. the, the um, exchange rate also had mm -hmm. a lot to do with that with the fact that everything that would ordinarily be shot around here just was 50 miles north yeah and um <clears throat> but there was this period um uh, American Heart, The Fabulous Baker Boys, mm -hmm. like like eight more movies were made. What was it? Trouble in Mind. Trouble in Mind. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, and and um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, and all these movies were made in uh, like a five year period. Mm -hmm. And and was Sleepless in Seattle one of those? Because I I don't know if it was in that time frame, but it was certainly one of one of the biggest <laughs> Seattle movies ever. Sleepless. Well, that's Sleepless the only one out of these that I can say I didn't audition for. Oh, okay. And I don't remember when they were shooting it. But everyone, I, I, as a young man, I did not have a camera career. And that was partly uh, due to, I wasn't as comfortable with it as I was with uh, with theater, where you rehearse over and over and over and over. And that idea of having being perfectly prepared on the day mm. was um, it just was super scary to me. And I, I, it was hard to think of it as acting as I knew it. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was a little less ambitious than I should have been. But I did go out for all of those movies. Mm. And I'm not in any of them oh, yeah. and john billingsley is in every one so and wait so take you're you're from around here i'm from tacoma so and uh, i went to i went to public schools in tacoma all the way and then i went to university of puget sound which is also uh in tacoma and where my dad taught and and you knew you wanted to be an actor how and when um i I, my original ambition, both my parents were scientists and, um, and my original ambition, which was just very organic, it was the, the way kids know what they want, you know, that's part of their personality was, um, to be a marine biologist, mm. but I participated in any opportunity to perform in in an actorish way that that i would take i would uh, summer classes if there was something that was drama i would do that um uh and uh, and i got to be in a wonderful uh touring outdoor production of um uh of wind in the willows toad yeah. of toad hall that that happened and and the director who is still a friend of mine, Dale Westcard is his name, and he's doing great, and I see him so, at auditions. So anyway, to, to finish, I took every opportunity to perform, and I was going to be a scientist. And I remember one of my best friends in high school, 
because I was in all the plays in high school. Um, and I was, and, and I had started getting confused about whether I really wanted to be a scientist. And, and I said to her, I really, you know, I used to really know what I wanted to be. And, um, I don't anymore for sure. And she said, well, we all thought you were going to be an actor. Oh. <laughs> and in some ways that was sort of my first inkling of, of that I wanted to pursue it. I want to jump in here with an observation because I was just thinking about this and before you said you wanted to be a scientist or marine biologist, which is the precision of your work. Oh. You, you, um, and you, and what's funny is before we were talking about the ukulele and yeah. you, and you were saying, I wanted to tell you about how you can make the chord shapes. And you were like giving me this eye contact and this intensity. And I recognize that eye contact and intensity is exactly what's happening in that scene. Oh, yeah with uh with you that we played a clip of but then i thought of those uh lines that you had about uh the elephant can paint in the episode or uh the crows have funerals which are kind of scientific statements yeah. sort of precise scientific yeah. statements is that does that ring a bell that those two things have a confluence oh totally yeah 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 and and i loved uh i loved the actor lines that existed for me i i know there's a a, a running gag uh, in the show about you won't notice it. Nobody, right. Nobody will notice, notice Nobody's, nobody's going to notice, notice it. it. You know yeah. what? Megan can play the murderess. I'll just get a new assistant detective. Won't people be confused if she switches parts? She can wear a wig. I don't know. I'm giving it away. I don't know if anybody's going to notice that my name was Peter. My actor <laughs> name was Peter in the first season. And um, you and changed, Eric, did you get changed to Eric. It got no. changed to Eric, and but the but the the lines that were already there when I joined the cast were really right up my street. So yes, mm. that stuff about the the elephants and how exciting it is to to tell someone mm -hmm. something they didn't know. Right. You've got the yeah. goods. Yeah, yeah. And and you're right. Just a few minutes ago, off mic, we were. We were uh, talking about uh, this is a great thing. I, I, as a musician, I play the ukulele, and I started on guitar, and then as soon as I started playing the ukulele, I, you know, I haven't, I've hardly touched a guitar since, and um, but I've told several extremely good guitarists, like really good mm. guitarists, who thought they would have to learn everything over again right, to yeah. play the ukulele. Yeah. And I happen to know otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so I, I love the opportunity for, for I, explaining something. Like I'm not that. one of those really good guitar players, yeah. but I am a guitar player. And, uh, and I'm actually kind of excited to go home and take the ukulele. Yeah, off the I'll, wall. I'll, I'll absolutely. You're, you're now set to play the opening <laughs> yeah. of next up. So, <laughs> um, but talking I, about, I agree. Uh, and no one will notice, uh, a friend of mine said, oh, I saw an episode and I love the Easter egg. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it turns out like I had reshot a shot with uh, in our apartment and weeks or months had gone by between the, the shoot and the reshoot. And so the background bookcase was all different, mm. which I hadn't thought of. And she thought it was this wonderful. <laughs> I guess some people do notice some things. <laughs> um, yeah so speaking of precision so the, i think the first time you and i worked together because we our pads crossed all the time but we i think the i first was such time... a big fan of the 
the new city stuff that you did. Well, oh, late night club. The right. late night club stuff, Run Remain. Yeah. And it, it, I love that. Which is where I first saw Joe. Yeah. Did you do stuff there? I'm sorry. I don't Barely. Memory, I'm yeah. trying to remember. Uh, so the late night club was something that we started uh, at the late lamented New City Theater, one of the great theaters um, uh, in Seattle history. And it was a weekly show. And it was a great way to interact with, collaborate, learn from um, artists in all disciplines. Um, and uh, yeah, that's what we're talking about there. But 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 when I first, so I, I think, think worked we, with you. Anyway, was... I think we knew each other yeah, yeah. from from me always wanting to talk to you about this cool thing you oh, just okay. done. Which I <laughs> yes. would probably said, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> don't want to talk about sure it. Don't, don't want to re relive it. Don't want to watch, <laughs> don't want to watch the films I've made. I mean, well, it, <laughs> Partly it's it's for me, and this is one of the reasons I started the the podcast is I was talking with Joe just a few weeks ago and, and said, you know, I, I I I don't think of myself as an artist. Or I said something like that, which mm. struck you as surprising. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think the good side of that is I always feel like oh, I'm just beginning, which is cool, right? Because it means that you, you get to learn and mm. you get to feel like you're excited for what's coming around the bend. Yeah. And then the bad side of it is, I guess, imposter syndrome or, or just, uh, yeah, I've never made a living as an artist. So, uh, it doesn't from the outside mm. feels fake or something. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get back to the point I was going to make, but since I just said on this, like, yeah. when did you, if ever think, Okay, marine biologist is in the trash. I've emptied the trash, and I'm officially like I call myself an artist or an actor. Or a, has it, did that happen? If so, do you remember? Yes, yes, yes. I um, uh, the first thing that happened was that my high school was a, a very '70s alternative high school that had wonder had a wonderful effect on my life. That all the humanities stuff, my teachers in the arts and and I I sang in the choir I did the the shows and the plays but the um, there was a team teaching approach to um, uh, history and English and literature and etc cetera, etc cetera. and and there were these teams and and I just got lucky with the best teachers and was loving that stuff and I tried to take the science classes. And the first science class I took was one of those those things where the he was the wrestling coach and and he would just oh. he would just give us this book to to fill in and just just whatever that term was something some kind of learning and I just I just skipped that period and often got stoned mm -hmm. and uh, but definitely skipped that mm. skipped out Interesting. and I stopped being a good science student. And that included the, the uh, next couple science classes I had that were sort of more typical. I just, I just um, started skipping them. So, but that's part one, but part two was the, um, one of my dad's best friends at the university of Puget Sound was a woman named Eileen Soley, who at the time, was one of the world experts on the giant Pacific octopus that live in Puget Sound. Under the Narrows Bridge is where the biggest ones in the world 
live who have heads the size of your chair. And um, if you say so, I, I, I just have to say, I love the fact that on the Uncertain Artist podcast, we're now talking about the giant octopus <laughs> yes. that lived under the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. So and please continue. So, so anyway, uh, I uh, I took one more. I, I gave I wanted to give myself one more shot at at this this uh, science stuff. And so I took her intro to biology class and my study habits were so bad that I barely got a C. Mm. And I think it was, it was, it was when I realized I could not. So was this pass. addition by subtraction? You, you thought, well, I can't be a marine biologist. So I'll go into the next toughest well, profession to bring yeah. into acting. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess so. It, well, it was, it was the fact that I was completely motivated to perform. Okay. And I got extremely, it was a perfect department for me to work at um, because it was relatively small. There were three professors and um, a relatively small, it's a small school. And so, um, but you know, I I legit got the good parts because I right. was doing the good auditions. So then you're in and then so I got to play when I was twenty years old. I did Waiting for Godot. Wow. When I was twenty one years old, I did the old guy in the caretaker. Wow. When I was twenty three years old, and and it was still playing on, on in New York. The original production was still playing in New York, and somehow the the our uh one of our directors uh got the rights to buried child mm. and so my big swan song it was was the old guy in buried child sam shepherd so, by sam shepherd so sam i got i at the same time that i was like being not a very good student i was um so did you feel big fish in a small sea small fish in a big sea did you feel now it's time for me to go to New York and LA. Like, no, no. Um, I, uh, I in, in the context of the college, there were also some other really good. No, actors. but I'm talking about once you get into Seattle. Oh, once I get into Seattle, yeah. I it was it was very exciting uh, because I would come up to Seattle to see plays at like like the uh, the the first generation of the Intamon with their production of the Dream Play which is still the best thing I've ever seen in Seattle and um, shows at the empty space. Strindberg. Strindberg, yes. Uh, and, uh, but it was, cause you mentioned ambition earlier. Yeah. So let me, let me tell a story. So yeah. the late night club, which I, uh, I started. And at the time I was not super enthused about what I'd been seeing in the world of performing arts in Seattle. I, I didn't, and and mostly that was not a well-reasoned or well-seasoned reaction. It was just like the hubris of youth. And uh, anyway, the, the, the late night club, I would do like a little comedy skit at the beginning of each. And I just thought I was a cat's meow. And mm -hmm. Joe, you came in mm -hmm. with like probably the off-the-wall players and did I think something. I think we or maybe one of them because I think we were broken up by the time. Okay. Uh, I feel like it, you and Kobe Shell. Me and Kobe probably did something. Uh, anyway. Yeah. It just like blew my head off. Like it was so funny, so funny. Thank and you. I had to like re-examine, you know, my own like, where am I kind of thing, um, which was useful for me. Um, 
but uh, talking about ambition, it's hard being in Seattle um, and feeling like, okay, now what, where does this lead? Am I going, you know, what, what does ambition mean to me? What does ambition mean to you? Eric? Well, uh, rather than answer that directly, I, will... you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that that's my Achilles heel is that I am, uh, I am passive in the way other people are ambitious and and really that that whenever the question well what you know what do you see yourself being let's say you know i'm let's say i'm 25 years old and just starting out my professional career and uh someone said well where do you see yourself at 40 i, I go i don't know I, I i just basically have never been a future-oriented person and my ambition has always been to get to talk about collaborative arts, to get to work on good projects with exciting people. And the, the, the thing that, that all acting provides you with, and certainly theater acting, these great roles that exist in the theater is, and this, this relates to the science thing is it's, it's what is making people tick? What is what's going on when somebody is like this or like that or mm -hmm. does this or does that? What's really going on? And the discussions are great, and the work is great. The uh, and 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 the 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 thing I always had the ambition for was, you know, God damn it, it's three days to opening, and I don't know what's going on, and mm -hmm. I have to go back to the woodshed. And, and it's not going to be good until I know everything about what's going on with this person mm. in this situation and I can live it. Yeah. And that's my ambition. And my other ambition was being uh, uh, well-known enough for doing good work that I could stop hustling and wait for the phone right. to ring. That's that the, is that's no... The way to go about things right but especially in seattle i, I want i i, I want to i think that's important but i want to bookmark your first ambition which i think is is something that i've never thought of before and that is kind of blowing my mind in a really good way which is that we you know when you use the word ambition i always think well you know let's uh, become rich and famous yeah. you know in in hollywood or new york or something but the ambition to say my ambition is to do really good work my ambition is to in three days nail this character that that's true yeah i was gonna push back and say well wait so you are very ambitious you <laughs> yeah. just defined it in a different way right but yeah. the second piece right is what is what you know makes cowards of us all right it's we have to make we have to find a way to keep going we, and it's easier if you're in a place where there's paying work and yeah. lots of it. It's easier mm, yeah. to become well-known um, to the point that it's a little easier to get the work. Um, that's, yeah. that's the, you know, that's I just tough. spent, I just spent, uh, I just had some wonderful conversations with a couple of, with a number of uh, friends who get work in Los Angeles and um you were just down there last weekend. yes i was down there last weekend and without exception they all said 
this is no place to be. Seattle is no place mm. to be. Mm. There's not enough mm -hmm. work. There's not enough structure of everybody trying to make work mm -hmm. all the yeah. time. Yeah. And, 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 and if you're good, you're going to fall into something. Mm -hmm. And that's true in New York. It's true in LA and it's maybe a little in a, true in, in a way. I, and, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, oh, but, but I ended up talking kind of to all of them about this, that, 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 um, you know, one, one of the only people <laughs> who ended up with a, a middle-class living, uh, in, uh, among my crowd that I hung out with this older actor, John Aylward, oh, yeah. um, who, uh, was, you know, top of the, top of the heap yeah. in Seattle theater when I came to town. And then fortunately I got to be very good friends with him, uh, working on some projects and being in the same room. And he got so lucky with this one part that, and that he, toured he, down to the mm, Mark Taper oh, Forum. Oh, that's how he got ER. And he was, and it was, I did not ever see the show. It played at the rep and then it toured down there. And the part was so perfect for was him. Is this a one-man show? No, two. Oh. It's him and Dan Sullivan, I oh, think, yeah. were, were, were one of Dan's rare acting performances. And he's an, also an amazing actor. But um, but this role played to John's strength so much. And then it showed up in Los Angeles. And mm -hmm. his phone started ringing off the hook. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon he was... And then he divided his time between he kept, he kept he, he just died a couple years ago um he kept his house on over by volunteer park on capitol hill that's his old family house i, I no, think no no, no not that, that he one. rented it okay for years with a bunch of people from the empty space mm. and then and so then did, it was let just me interrupt did you yeah. look at it at this and think okay, yeah i think the, i the need whole to move time the whole time i've been i i i i've just Part of it was I just found it intimidating. It was never yeah, yeah. a good day, unlike for for uh, uh, um, uh, Scott McDonald, one of the guys I hung out with last week, or or actually day before yesterday. Yesterday I hung out with him <laughs> yesterday, and same for John Billingsley and my other friend Scott Zeller. They, they just all just just had this day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that essentially there was. It's today's the day to change my life. And there was a combination of things. It was never, it was never the day to change my life. And I just got older and older mm -hmm. and less and less employed. And, um, and, 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 uh, I was being pretty well employed in the theater when, uh, my parents started needing more help mm. and so I, yes and they live in tacoma they lived in tacoma and first my mom passed away and my dad was her main caregiver um but then when my dad uh started needing more and more help kind of was at a point where i might have there were a lot of changes in my personal life at that time and it would have been a good time and and uh, some and I had visited Los Angeles and I couldn't believe all my friends who were down there. Uh, another person that I talked to on the phone a lot but didn't see Floyd Van Busker. Oh yeah. And and I I couldn't believe how 
my, the, several people said, well, does this mean you're coming to join us? Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't going to be but competition. Think, uh... And I just, I just, anyway, to, to finish the thought, the, uh, I just, I stayed here for a long time because some, because of being hands-on about my dad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then when, when he passed away, I had, um, a personal life that gave me more reason to stay right here. And I like it here, but I, um, I've been less and less employed and I work as a, a one man shop, uh, uh, painting people's rooms and bathrooms and the side of their house if the weather's good. Mm -hmm. So that's where I make most of my, were you ever able to be in a place where you didn't have a side job? A little bit, yeah. I always, I always kind of had my shingle out for this. It's, it's like, uh, I remember, I remember the the show that Matt Smith and and uh, and Ed Sampson did mm. the two person show about their their life in the theater and their life and 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 he had this line that said, "Well, until I was thirty years old, I would say, well, I can always wait tables." <laughs> yeah, and then I turned thirty, and I said. I will always wait tables. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately for him, he's not. He's yeah. found really good things to do. Yeah. But uh, I was I was doing this particular version of handyman stuff way back in way the seventies, and but but there were times when uh, I used to get a lot of work at the Seattle Children's Theater, and those were long jobs. Yeah. And yeah. I would I would frequently get two jobs per season there, and then something at the rep or something at act or and and i had a lot of um a, a lot of time spent in uh, pioneer square theater yeah. back in the day and uh there was this thing if you especially if some of your work was at the more well-playing places uh, like act and the rep um that you really could be on unemployment or have a job and I think I had a, a handful of years where I barely had to look for any other source of income than those two. Well, I, I mean, I think this is such a... Cut his mic. It's, <laughs> it's such a, uh, a great question for the uncertain artist, this question of uh, making a living or, or not. But it's also, I mean, it's important for sure um but on the other hand i wonder sometimes if it's a little bit of a hyper capitalism that we that we live in that that focuses on that because you know like greg when you say well i haven't made a living i mean first of all that surprises me but no big deal but i mean you you are such an accomplished artist am i right i mean is this guy not an guy like, stop, yeah. stop no stop. but but really for real i think that i mean i i get it that you don't want to take that on and, and it's embarrassing and i should shut up and or you won't cut stop my making films yeah he but the, i mean if there's anybody that's an accomplished artist in this town okay, get to your point it's this guy well my point is is that it's really not about whether you make a living or not it's about if your ambition is to do really great work and you do really great work, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, the way that applies to me, because I feel lucky that I get to keep working, right? Like, I, you know, I feel very fortunate. Um, but uh, like, I've never really had a desire to move back to New York or to move to LA in large part because what I do is I make work that doesn't easily fit into any existing structures. And I'm not sure I, so my like, 
uh, what would I call it? My, you know, version of, oh, my sin is that I'm not ambitious. My sin is, is uh, I can't tell. Of course, you can't tell. Do I feel like I don't fit into anyone else's structure because I don't fit into anyone else's structure? And if I tried to, my work would just be like everyone else's and not my work? Or am I trying to protect myself in some way, you know? Who, I'll never know the answer to that. I guess. I've got a good story about this, which is... Um, I uh, I went to a party for some friends, and this is kind of uh, one, one of the coolest things I ever did was a very unconventional piece of art, which was the the band Awesome did mm. this stage show called Delaware. Oh, yeah. It and great, I, it was great. Great piece of work. And yeah. I was able to participate in it, and it was wonderful and hugely fulfilling. And I think we each got 200 bucks at the, at the, at the end of two runs. And, um, but it was, it was the, the most wonderful thing to have collaborated on. Mm. And this is also at the time, uh, well, maybe my run at the children's theater was over at that point, but at any rate, I, I had a, a you know, I was, in the in the loop and doing professional theater around town and um i went to a party and i ran into one of my old uh college friends who it, it, it was one of those you know jaw dropping what what are you doing here she had been in la for a long time and i think um doing mostly voice stuff because she's got a stunning voice and is a wonderful very interesting person and 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 uh so this was mid 2000s and she just said eric what are you doing here what are you doing still in seattle you can't make a living and you're not going to work with the you that you might get to work with de niro you know, you might get to work and, 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 um, or Denzel Washington, like, like Billingsley did. Well, nobody recognizes Billingsley walking down the street or not very much, but everyone's like, he just did a scene with Aubrey Plaza that he was wonderful. Oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah, he, he was, was good wonderful. Yeah. Mostly you heard his voice, but wonderful expert performance. So, so she was saying that you want, you want to get yourself into that situation where you're going to get with the most um uh the, the 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 people who are working at the highest level mm -hmm. and i and that gnawed at me quite a bit and uh and uh both my parents were still alive at the time and and possibly i could have uh, i could have cut loose on that and i was single and it was a pretty good time for me to do something like that if i was going to and i was hanging out with two of my actor friends uh, um, and, and was just, you know, processing out loud and sort of echoing this voice in my head that my friend had put there. And, uh, my friend Kimber said, what the, what the hell are you doing buying into this stupid meritocracy bullshit? <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 just because somebody's famous mm -hmm. and, oh, and, uh, and my friend, uh, uh, Tracy, uh, there at the time was sit. So I had these two, yeah, yeah. these two women who were just ripping me a new one over this. And she said, 
you, you're gonna you, you just worked with john oswald of uh, awesome yeah, yeah you yeah. just worked with th 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 that guy's a genius yeah yeah and i can't yeah i yeah. can't argue with that yeah. you know I, so it's it's just a very interesting dilemma I, 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 that's very interesting because I, I felt myself as you were, that was a great story because it took us on a little roller coaster ride. But, um, uh, I was buying it when it's like, oh, you could work with De Niro and Billingsley worked with, with, uh, Denzel. And, and so I, I was buying into it. But what you just said about Oswald and, and Awesome, um, reminds me of something that, that I think that when, when you hit an A plus with art, mm -hmm. uh, in other words, I can listen to an awesome song and it is as good as any Beatles song. And I love the Beatles. But when you hit oh me as a listener with my headphones on or something and I'm hitting the peak A plus 100% artistic experience, it doesn't matter if it's awesome or the Beatles. Yeah. It's equal. Yeah. And we'll be right back. This episode of The Uncertain Artist is sponsored by Le Pichet, one of Seattle's great restaurants. In fact, it was recently featured in the New York Times list of the top 25 restaurants in Seattle. Now, if you've been, you don't need me to tell you what a lovely place it is. And if you haven't, well, you're in for a treat. Le Pichet is a 32-seat French bistro and bar located in the heart of Pike Place Market, specializing in French regional cuisine and wine. The food is, of course, extraordinary, but myself, I don't really enjoy eating out no matter how good the food is unless I feel comfortable in the restaurant. I'm collaborative by nature and that might be part of it. And I love the cozy, we're all on this planet together vibe that you get at Le Pichet. From the beautiful room to the extraordinary uh, staff to the loyal clientele. Le Pichet has been with us for 23 years and it's as good as ever. And we're back. Eric, the first time we really worked together was on my third feature film called Money Buys Happiness. Do you remember that? I remember it really, really well. It was was fantastic. it? Oh, was it a fun experience? Oh, it was great for me. Yeah. Oh, great. Um, well, let's listen. You play a patient in a sleep lab in a scene with Megan Murphy. So then everybody gets their own room? Yeah, it's like a motel. That's too bad. I just always imagined it'd be like, you know, like sleep camp. Like one big room and and a lot of people gathered together, you know, with their on their own sleeping bags and good night story and you know that. I haven't worn these things in a long time. I thought they'd still shoot. <sighs> That's a nice robe. Oh, thank you. Yeah, my mom made this for my uncle al and then when my uncle al died i i got it i'm sure that he'd be happy to know that it was still being put to good use it's just a really really nice one like, yeah. i really love the color it's a wonderful color you don't see it much it's that great fabric that um, i don't know what it's called but it's got that really great weight to it um, you know my mom yeah. she had Terrific taste in fabric. There's still great fabrics all over the house and stuff. And nobody particularly notices it like it's just a regular bathroom. But I think it's really great. Oh, oh, could you leave the door open, please? I sleep a little better with the door open. I mean, it's not like I'm afraid or anything. I got, it's not a freak fear thing. But I, what I think of in hearing that is you use the word precision, I guess. Um, Okay, so back. <laughs> I did theater for a long time before I started doing film. Um, and I got to a place in theater where I felt I was 
good's not the word, but I felt I knew what I understood theater. Like I, I thought I knew what it was about. And I thought, and it, it sort of mirrors a little bit what you were talking about earlier. To me, theater is about what it's like to be alive with other people. Like that's everything. And you could spend a life exploring that. And you have, when I decided to move to film, didn't decide, but when I started making films and quickly realized, oh, this is about like 8 million things and I'll never get really good at any of them is sort of how I felt. But the main thing I kind of came away from, from or, or feel when I do theater is that it's about the past. It's not about the present. It's about time. It's about memory. It's just a different beast altogether to me. Um, what about it from you know the side of the person in front of the audience the person in front of the camera what's the difference for you when you when you just said time and memory were you referring to film film i oh, think yeah, it's I, not about the so present between, it's about between the film and theater yeah what's it like is it the same sort of process that you go through to prepare it's 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 similar um there's one practical thing which i mentioned before is you've you, you don't have any rehearsal time to get better and better at your lines. You do a little bit. Sometimes you have the wide shot. You're not going to use that much. By the time they get to your close-up, you run your sequence enough times that that you, you, you screw up less and less. Uh, and sometimes you only have little, little bits. But you've got to have, you got to have your lines so cold on the one day that, that, that that's just not an issue and uh people who work in television and theater all the time have are good at that and um and you don't train in it very much on the theater because you get many many reps you get to repeat many times and get better and better and better at that um, and there are directors who don't want you even looking at the lines when you start rehearsals they want to yeah, get into the process that. first and, yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, theater and directors. Theater directors. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And, yeah. um, but really, uh, I've uh, the 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 money buys happiness was one of the first things I did that I felt was, you know, that I did all right. You know. Yeah, you're terrific. And uh, um, and also it was uh, most of those lines were uh, originally uh, improvised by me because I was telling you a story. That's right. About about the the uh, uh, bathrobe that I had that That's my mom right. made, and, and I liked it. And you <laughs> and liked say it. Say that. <laughs> and you liked it, and you said, "Say that." Yeah. So I got to kind of write my own material in a surprising way, and that was fun. Um, and just just uh, the the. Uh, well, anyway, in in Uncertain Detective, I I feel that that's some of my most successful stuff. Well, let me I've tell people like the process. So, what we typically do, I'll uh, I won't go through it all, but usually I'll write a draft. Joe and I will get together. We'll do lots of rewrites, uh, and then when it's ready, we'll send it out to the actors. So we send you a script before we met. Then we uh, typically over Zoom now uh, with. COVID especially, we meet and we we read the scene. And inevitably, either because I specifically ask people to do it or it just happens, uh, we change it, right? So we're almost going line by line and changing mm -hmm. things as we go and trying to adapt. And you're 
changing your own line, but you're also helping others think about, you know, so it's, it's pretty great. I love that. It's part a great of process. It. Yeah. yeah. Um, then we get on set and correct me if I'm wrong, cause I don't know that I have the, the best uh, perspective, but I don't think much changes once no. we're on set and we've already like kind of settled things. Is that? No, that's, right? a, that's definitely a, um, uh, a, a uncertain detective thing is that, is that whatever work was done, the, the work is done in the set and, and the, the, the script is there. And, um, I just flashed on something. So when we shot the scene in the zoo, so in episode two, the detective, me and the assistant detective, Eric follow our client. She is, um, at the zoo and we're sort of following her to try to make sure she doesn't murder her husband. <laughs> um, and I don't know how we got the zoo, but somehow uh, Kieran, our wonderful line producer, convinced the zoo, that, sure, we'll shoot there. But I, I kind of feel now in hindsight that the zoo didn't really know what they were saying yes to. So anyway, yes. we get to the zoo. I remember that. And um, they're closing all the indoor. This is when this is how I now calendarize my life, because this is when we knew COVID was a thing. They're yes. they're closing the, the reptile house, day. which is what we were going to shoot in was right. going to be in the reptile. house, yeah. Yeah. And all the indoor shoot stuff is uh, off. Then it starts to drizzle a little. The crew sets up a little rain tent. The Zeus now, you know, someone walks by and goes, oh, this is what you wanted to do, because now we look like a film crew. Mm -hmm. And we're then informed we have to leave. Um, and so the second piece, which was supposed to be shot in the cafe at the zoo, we wound up shooting in the parking lot. Yes. Like almost everything. I mean, now I feel like I'm about to curse myself with the gods, but like almost everything, when something goes wrong, you change it to something that's better than what you were going to do anyway, yeah. <laughs> which is just, maybe that's my, just a reflection of how my bad memory I am. of that day is is when when it was clear that more and more people were going to start telling us to get out to stop doing what we were doing. Yeah, well, you ignore out. the first couple of times. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and they were just they were just getting a little more organized behind that, <laughs> and um, and and it and and. And I had shot, I had shot all my stuff. Oh, but but you were going. I think we could get, we can grab a little bit of this and grab a little bit yeah. of that. Yeah. And that's where you got. It was during that period where we were basically trying to get out of the zoo before they started shooting at us. <laughs> is that that you got that incredible shot of Megan and the hippo? Oh, that's right. Yeah, that it was. It was like it was like that's oh right. oh oh the hippos. Yeah, let's get. Why why aren't you just? Can, can you just stand in front of the hippos yeah. and, and this hippo the hippo performs beautifully big, giant yeah. <laughs> yawn and it's so gorgeous yeah mm. uh yeah so there is imp improvisation <laughs> but uh but i also um i i do like doing my best to do the lines specifically and and that that thing that we did the clip from uh i just loved that dialogue and i saw it i actually watched it twice today and um and you know can you be honest was it the first time you'd seen it no oh no. you'd actually watched it before no no, okay. no I, I, I haven't seen every episode that's okay <laughs> i haven't seen every every episode that i'm not yet yeah there you go but i do kind of and and that and i started you're one of the few people who who's in it who watches it i'll have to say <laughs> really I, yeah um, it's crazy I, 
I that started out as a person who kind of in a, a dramatically hated hearing my voice mm. and hated seeing myself. And, and I've just changed. I really, if it came out good, I like to see it. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and that scene I feel came out good. And there's certain movie acting things that I have less experience with mm. than my friends that have made lots and mm -hmm. lots of movies. And, and that, 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 focus on mm -hmm. that other person your yeah. scene partner yeah and that, that there's all this crazy stuff going on around you like ridiculous yeah like 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 it plays are ridiculous but once they get going nothing about the absurdity changes so you just you just buy into that mm. you hypnotize yourself into i am in a room and there's not 50 people out there and I'm not really pausing for laughs. Right. And, and all those absurdities are consistent in, in, in movies. There's just mm. so much going on there, there. There can be a hundred people. There can be two people. There can, you can, you can be, you know, there, there can be stunts. There can be, you know, and, and that you have to make that go away and connect with your partner with in in a way that's right for the conventions mm -hmm. of the the actual thing you know and like 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 i was i was actually watching it for me and you um you know keeping our eyes open yeah <laughs> and there we were and yeah. we were really making contact so one of the I'm reasons i think the pro the uh, experience is pleasant for you so uh, a little bit about my process so after first being a theater director, so directing often, you know, I directed uh, uh, Beckett and I directed Sam Shepard and various people. I then began to make work with Megan Murphy um, and a bunch of others doing generative work. So everything was created in rehearsal. Um, so it was very specific to the performers. Um, and then moving into this process, one of the real joys is when I get to work with someone who I've either worked with before or know well, or I'm working on the scene again, I'm writing for you. Yeah. I remembered when we were, when I was walking over here today and I can't remember what episode or what scene, but I remember Joe questioned a line and normally 99% of the time, if Joe questions it, it's, it needs to be fixed. There's a reason. And I remember saying, Oh no, Eric's going to nail that. Mm -hmm. And you just went, Oh, okay. And, and it was great, you know, to be able to leave to just to, to have that ability to write for specific people, knowing mm. um, their strengths and knowing, you know, how good they are. I, I was I so I've said several times, uh, especially in this last couple of weeks um, that uh, I've sort of told the story that the, the first season was was very good material for me as the actor. And, uh, but you didn't know I was going to be playing with it, yeah. playing it at the time that you right. created that character. And then the second season, the stuff we did, that was even better for me in a certain way because it, it was written for me and, and I've never had that experience yeah, before. I cool. loved, I loved doing material that had been written for me. That's, yeah. that's, and, um, you know, uh, it's a, it's a take on me, and and the and you, your character, your real life yeah. character is a take on you. It's not it's not precise. Yeah, and I we're 
now in the writing mode for season three. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've already asked Eric if he would agree to play a part again. So I'm pretty excited yeah. for writing that. I, uh, oh, ahead, I, yeah. I was just going to say that I love the, the, the trope within The Uncertain Detective. Well, just the desperation of the production in general. Yeah. But trying to get somebody to play the assistant Yeah, detective. I think of the assistant detective as kind of like the drummers in yeah. Spinal Tap. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Bingo. So we uh, uh, will invite questions from the audience for every episode. Um, I'll tell you uh, at the end of this uh, podcast how you can uh, send in uh, a question. But I, we'll get our question for, is it for Eric? Yes. Uh, go for it. What's the question? From Joel in Detroit, Michigan. He wants to know, besides the uncertain detective, what projects have you been working on lately? Uh, the Uncertain Detective, as, as we said, I, I often describe it as with the, the Indiana Jones door on COVID was coming down in front of our eyes. For season one, yeah. For season one, especially at the zoo. Um, and uh, that was, and, and when uh, this last weekend, I was in Los Angeles in order to participate in 1448, the world's quickest theater festival. Did that start in Seattle? Started in Seattle in 1996. So it's had a great success and it has satellite. It has, has cast its seed to places like Austin and there's a couple of towns in England and it now has several... Uh, and it's, it's 14 people school. do 48 plays? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? 14 world premiere 10-minute plays in 48 hours oh. and that's two unlike the 48-hour film festival kind of stuff that's two sets of seven so the writers are writing within that 48-hour period oh yeah this this is uh, and 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 what i want to say is that my friends um uh, ben McFadden, Ben Burris, Charles Norris, and a whole bunch of other people, uh, Heather Hawkins has something to do with, people who have experience in Seattle's long-standing tradition of this, decided uh, last year to produce it in Hollywood because they had a good location mm. for it. The, 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 the venue needs to be very specific. And um, that was relatively successful, and this one was five times more successful. Wow. And you, you went down to play in the band, I think. Yes. Yes, I went down to lead the band. Oh, I played funny. in the 1448 band um, many times, I'd say either four or five here in Seattle. And, um, and I was, but I've always been, you know, one of the band members and somebody else is really in charge of organizing the time and which is key. Oh my God, uh, I bet you're really good at it. I turned out to be very good at it. Yes, I'm, I'm really, it was so good. They had found these great, perfectly chosen musicians, which I wasn't sure in the first minutes of meeting them. And it turned out it was perfect. And part of leadership is uh, is good delegation. And I, I do have a, a strong suit in in. I know what you can do. Yeah. Well, you're, it, a I mean, I never got to all the reasons I was excited you're here. I think, I hope we touched on some of them today, but one of them was what a great collaborator you are. And, I love it. Uh, you know, I live for it. Okay. Let me ask a question. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not a 
big improv fan. I know you do a lot of improv. <laughs> uh, part of it is I'm always questioning as an audience member, am I liking this because I know it's improv? Like if I didn't know this was improv, would I be laughing? You know. Right. Uh, so do these things hold up as if no one told you that, that, it, that this it, was? It, it depends. There's good nights and bad nights. And there's there's good plays. So some some anyone who has participated in the Seattle 1448 festival will tell you the play that blew their mind. Mm. That was just a perfect one act, ten minute play that had all the juice mm. that you ever want from mm. a play. Me. Uh, well, let me, can I? Because we have to wrap up, but um, we get to keep talking. But yes. our, our podcast has to end. Um, this was all improv. How did? How do you think uh, this is our first one? How do? How do you think we did? Oh, I I think we did okay. Well, yeah. I, but I can talk to you guys all day. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, we'll keep we'll um, keep talking. Uh, it was fun. Do our outro now. Okay. It was super fun. Yeah. Like, I want to well, do it again. Well, uh, when you first proposed the podcast, I went like, "Well, what are we going to talk about?" But uh, yeah. obviously, we 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 talk about. Well, something. we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed myself. I surprised myself because I I thought I would be uh, editing it as mm -hmm. I was talking, but mm -hmm. I was actually just talking. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Great. All right, well, we'll keep talking, but I'm going to do our outro now. So let me uh, pull out my phone and read the outro. Well, that was a treat. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much to our guest, Derek Ray Anderson, and our producer, Gravy Day. And uh, thanks to you, Joe. That was fun. Yeah. Please join us next time for another episode of The Uncertain Artist. And if you have a question we can ask our guest in a future episode, or ask ourselves, drop it to us in the comments if you're watching on YouTube, or mail it to us. Our email is theuncertainartist at gmail.com. Also, save the date. Season 3 of The Uncertain Detective will premiere February 26th, the fourth Monday of February, at 7 p.m. at the SIF Film Center, right next door to Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle. We'll follow the screening with a live taping of this podcast, so come join us. Tickets are free and can be reserved through the Seattle International Film Festival website. <laughs>